Get ready. On this episode of Saga Talk, we're talking the sequels to Space Harrier, the 3D graphics, the Sega Genesis exclusive, and the never-before-released-to-consoles arcade game from Nagoshi. All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Welcome to episode 84 of Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is... George. Right? That's right. There we go. I'm keeping you on your toes. And on this episode, uh, we are covering the Space Harrier sequels, specifically Space Harrier 3D, Space Harrier 2, and I can't hold it, but it's it's somewhere in the world, Planet Harriers. And the reason we're covering 3 and 1 is these are... Not big games. I don't think they're games that could cover a full episode. Um, and also, I, I just think it's really interesting to cover all of them at once because there's some comparing, contrasting that we can do. Um, it's also really exciting for me because this is kind of a personal favorite of mine. Um, we covered the original game way back in 2017 on our 11th show. And wow. um, we actually managed to talk... Uh, about that little arcade title for over an hour. So I definitely think it's worth revisiting. Um, We are actually going to talk a little bit about the original game just because there has been some uh, new additions to the original's, I guess, ports library. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we do that, though, so this episode, this is a personal pick of mine. However, if you support us on Patreon... Um, at a certain tier, what's the name of that tier? All these tiers have beautiful names. It's it's the twenty dollars tier. I'll just call it that. Um, you you get to tell us what to cover, and you get to have one pick a month. And so uh, we really uh, appreciate the picks that we're getting. We appreciate the people that are making these picks because they uh, push us outside our comfort zone. I mean, this is a comfort zone oh, pick yeah. for me. Um, and I, I think following, after the episode you, you're you doing next, uh, which we'll mm-hmm. reveal at the end of the show, it, it's pretty much Patreon picks for the next two months, um, which is exciting. And we have uh, a really great group of people picking our episodes, sharing their memories. And um, I'll, I'll just give some little teases. We are going to be covering Shenmue 2 and 3 in the next Ooh. few months. Um, we're covering some oddball titles i won't uh i won't reveal them just yet but uh there's also a a little game that just came out to the backwards compatibility program for xbox so look forward to that um and yeah so i mean some some often often requested titles are coming uh but until then let's talk about space harrier welcome to the fantasy zone get ready so it's been a while um let's just quickly share our thoughts on the original game before diving into the sequels. And again, if you didn't listen to that episode, definitely throw that on and then catch this one just because it's a, it, we cover so much on that first game. But George, what, what are your just brief thoughts on the original Space Harrier? 
It's a beautiful, like, rail gun, sh- I mean, a rail shooter with some, like, very unique graphics, very unique world, very unique villains that I don't know if, like, any other games ever captured quite like it. I wouldn't, e- I-, I think they're, like, very 80s aesthetic, very, like, I guess, like, never before, uh, never ending story type weird weirdness mm-hmm. in this. Um, I would say it's very, like, in, in the grand scheme of Sega AM2, it's a very original title. And it's probably one of the most standout titles they released in the 80s because everything else was like simulation of a Ferrari or a g- fighting gunships or racing something. And this was yeah. like, I don't think they ever made anything quite like this ever again either. So, yeah, definitely a unique title. Very good treat. You? Yeah, and I actually re-listened to that episode before we recorded. Um, and that really, your, your opinions really haven't changed on it. And mine have not either, though there has been one uh, change for my Space Harrier experiences. I said on the 11th show that I've never completed the full game in the arcades. I've since done that multiple times because it's unlimited credits at the Galloping Ghost. Um, and it's fun. It's cool to get to that VN screen. Um, I, I think people notice when you're playing a game for a long time and they're like, oh, is he going to set a record or something? I'm never, I'm never going to set a record on that thing, but um, it's it's a great experience, great game, and uh, there's so many different ways to play it. I'm looking forward to talking about the the latest way to play it. Um, but until then, I will say that the Space Harrier franchise is small but mighty. Uh, combined, there's just four games really under its belt that comprises the canon. Um, the series does cross over with Fantasy Zone as both franchises take place within the Fantasy Zone. And so the the first sequel, you'd think it was Space Harrier 2, but it's actually not. Let's throw the cover up. We have some beautiful cover art here. So this is the artwork for Space Harrier 3D. Um, it was actually the next game in the franchise. It released on February 29th, 1988 in Japan in July 1988 in America, so not too long a wait. Um, and the game actually made use of the console's Sega Scope 3D glasses peripheral, which plugged into the Sega Master System's card slot. So we have two pieces of art here. The first one, I think you can guess, is the Japanese art. It's beautiful. <laughs> the second art yeah. is the American art, which... Um, I mean, a lot is said about American or Western Master System art. I think this is actually some of the better art uh, in that saying a lot. But, I mean, it looks like the game. I don't know who this giant creature, like this mecha that he's firing on is. Yeah, neither do I. I. And, like, they always did this weird proportion on, like, some of the Master System, whoever the artists were. Like, they didn't know really, they didn't, like, understand how to draw humans that well sometimes. It's weird. Like, look how big his butt is, is on that. Yeah, and, and I will say, too, because it's a 3D game, I think the Japanese art does a much better job because it clearly shows, like, an enemy shooting past the player, like, towards the viewer. Um, and I think the color scheme also kind of matches the game because I remember the game having a lot of, like, reds and pinks and kind of darker mm-hmm. backgrounds, probably so that the characters can pop more um, in the 3D. Uh, I'm going to assume you've never experienced a Master System in 3D, though. I will say yes, it's true. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to hold that against you because even I, I own a Master System and I own the 3D glasses. They don't work. I don't know why, but they don't. 
<laughs> so ever um well so it's a it's weird because i have a, a buddy my friend steve who has a master system he has a working pair of 3d glasses i mailed him mine and i was like test them and he claims to have tested them and they they didn't work but then he started to second guess himself and he's like well wait did i use the right card slot and i'm like did i just waste my time having you test them because you didn't probably i don't we don't know and the card slot itself still works on my machine i'm just i'm i have absolutely no idea but essentially when you have a working pair of the segascope 3d glasses it's a flickering effect so it basically one eye goes dark and then the other guy goes eye goes dark like this like constantly and it goes so fast that it alternates i believe with the screen so you your eye is seeing the left and right and left and right and left and right so fast that it merges them into one which sounds like a headache and i'm sure it is um yeah there there's a missile game there's outrun uh but what really makes this one unique is that um, it's not a uh, it's not a straight up um, port. It's actually a sequel. Um, the game was developed by Sega R and D two, which we've talked about many times in the past because they have released a ton of games to the point of uh, Mark Cerny describing it as a sweatshop. Um, if you remember that, yeah, and. Uh, it has a surprise. I think it has a surprising amount of love in it, though, despite it being made by the sweatshop developer, just because they really went the extra mile to not just make it a 3D version. Um, like, for example, Outrun 3D uh, had a lot of content removed, whereas this one is a brand new story. So, speaking of the story, let's let's talk. Let's read the plot. So, it's the return of Space Harrier. Once the peaceful land of dragons had suffered under a reign of terror, evil creatures stalked the land, leaving death and destruction in their wake. A call went out to the furthest reaches of the galaxy for a champion brave enough to challenge this evil. The call was answered by Space Harrier, a young warrior with an atomic blaster and the ability to fly. With the help of Urea, the true dragon prince... Uh, Space Harrier defeated the enemies of the land of the dragons and returned the dragon king to his throne. With peace again ruling the land, Space Harrier departed. So that's the first game. Then, one year later, the Dragon King died, and the land of the dragons was thrown into chaos. As Urea prepared to take the throne, his evil cousin returned from exile with an army of Urea's enemies. And if you don't recall, that's the giant, like, hairy dog that you fly on, the giant dragon. Yeah. So he has an evil yeah. cousin. Um, oh, no. In the violent Not battle the that followed... No, no, well... <laughs> Uh, in the violent battle that followed, the evil cousin invaded Urea's castle and took the throne. Even worse, Urea disappeared. Now Space Harrier has returned to the Land of Dragons to find Urea and restore him as to the rightful throne. But this time, he must journey further than he ever has before, right into the jaws of the most vicious monsters in the galaxy. To complete this mission, Space Harrier needs your help. The Land of the Dragons is depending on you. So what do you think about that plot? Very, I guess, <laughs> it's very strange. It's like, so now this other character has a cousin, and he's evil. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. I mean, and... it's it's very reminiscent of, like, a fairy tale story, right? Yeah, and there's, 
I mean, fa- the Fantasy Zone games also do this a lot in their plots. There's a lot of, like, brothers and cousins and fathers and thrones mm-hmm. and deaths. But what's so bizarre is that, like, Opa Opa is a sentient spaceship. And in this case, it's like a, a giant snake dragon. But they, instead of, like, being wild animals or robots, they have, like, a royal caste system. And they have brothers and relatives. And they cry. Um, you know, it's just weird. <laughs> so, like, machines, um, and, like, this world has, like, machines and, like, animals also, like, both sentient beings. So, like, isn't that weird? It almost feels like Space Harrier, maybe the guy, the Space Harrier might be enemies with Opa Opa, maybe? It is, you know, and Persona-sama, the um, artist, and, and that's his Twitter handle, uh, he does a lot of art for fighting games, and he's a big fan of the franchises. He has a Twitter thread and I think a blog post that tries to like make sense of all the dates and like the timeline and how both franchises fit together. It's kind of a fascinating read. I think it's him more taking these elements that never were meant to be put together and putting them together because I very Mm. much doubt that the person making this game was like, wait, what's going on in the fantasy zone right now? You know, but I mean, there's, there's a cool there's a cool story there of like warring kingdoms of technology and like dragon beasts that we'll never see. Um, uh, what I think is really funny though uh, is that Urea, you know, the beast that you ride in the bonus stages is kidnapped. So it's really a sneaky way to omit the bonus stages because they probably either take up memory or they were too hard to program in 3D. Um, another case of this on the master system is actually Tails being kidnapped in Sonic 2. Um, So what do you think about uh, like 8-bit adaptations of games using kidnapping as an excuse to remove like gameplay content? (laughs) I I mean, it's an easy way of doing it. I mean, I I wonder how many kids back then though that had like the Master System would ask like, oh, uh, the arcade version had this. I, I, I think it's probably way less and it was just more like the developers overthinking it. I think if they never mentioned it or even cared about it, the kid, the kids playing it back then wouldn't even know about it because, like, how I don't know, like, how many people first owned the Master System, owned the 3D goggles, and then also had working 3D goggles that play to play this game. You know what I mean? Right. Talking about right. a percentage of a percentage of a percentage, but yeah, yeah. This is one of those weird yeah. games that I technically never played. So my thoughts on it are like. I'm looking at it right now, and it looks really confusing. It, if you hook it right. up without the 3D glasses, can you actually play it? Well, so so what I was going to say was, if I think if you like emulate it, what they do is instead of showing you the alternating images, they show you both eyes side by side. Um, mm. So a lot of the gameplay videos you will see is is that perspective. Now I think. I'm not certain, but I think the way that those 3D games work is that there are two screens playing at the same time, which means that the 3D games have even less, they're less technically impressive because the Master System is basically running the same game twice for each eye, and then the Mm. screen is alternating between the two, and it's, I mean, technically that's pretty amazing, that the glasses can talk to the screen and say, okay, you're showing the left, so I'm going to cover the right eye. You're showing the right, I'm going to cover the left, and I'm going to do that so fast that the brain can't process it 
as two separate images. You compare that to the 3DS, which basically forces you to cross your eyes a little bit. Like when you're playing yeah. 3DS, you're not like I'm doing it on the video. I'm I'm pretty good at crossing my eyes, but you're like this when you're playing the game. <laughs> and um, I I think the closest thing to that is maybe home 3D systems like Blu-ray 3D. I know mm. that it does similar technology, but probably to the point where it's flashing so fast that it's not as headache-inducing uh, as the Master System. But have you have you ever done a 3D Blu-ray? I my cousin has a 3D TV with the glasses, um, so I yeah. did that before, but definitely not for me. I, I when it was like popular in the theaters, I did see a couple movies in it, and to me, it was like yeah. kind of a headache to be honest with you. Not it wasn't my cup of tea really to watch movies like that. I like I'm more laid back, just put the, the image on screen, and I also think that like a lot of movies didn't really make a good use of the 3D either. Like they just released whatever to just release them for a little bit more money. So I guess it depends, right? Yeah. I've never yeah, saw it's, Avatar, I, it's a, so... It's a gimmick that I think is really fading. I don't see it happening as much. In fact, there's been movie premieres that I actively avoid certain showings because I'm like, oh, it's 3D. I don't want to see that. Yeah. Especially for like franchises where I've seen like three or four movies, and then I'm like, really? You want me to go see Toy Story 4 in 3D? Like, nah. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, so despite that technical limitation, though, the game does feature 12 stages, which I think is pretty impressive. Plus, there's an untitled boss rush. Um, the stages were given weird names, um, and I'm just going to blow through a few of them here. Uh, there's Hardega, Macam, oh, this is a crazy one, Macaminum, Macaminum, Dote, like metal. and then... My favorite, Bits. <laughs> Ooh. Like Sega Bits. Um, yes, of course. Do, do you think thought was actually put into the Space Harrier stage names, or do you think the team would just make up nonsense words and like pick the best ones? I, I don't know if they did it on here. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody was like, oh, actually, I combined the Spanish word with this uh, German word, right? Like, the language for, like, Panda Dragoon, for example, I think it's, like, Latin and German mixed together, so, like... I wouldn't mm. be surprised, but to me, it sounds like one of them sounds like a metal, right? Like that mechanium sounds like some sort of like weird comic book metal element that they found in some planet far away that is now destroying the Earth. So, like, <laughs> I, maybe there's something going on there where they're think they they have like a foreign sound to them. You know what I mean? So, I can see them thinking about them, but they're probably probably gibberish made up from them putting words together that they like. Well, let's put you to the test. It's not in the notes, but I did want to do this. I'm going to read. Uh-oh. We're going to do this three times. Um, I'm going to say a name. You're going to tell me if it is an actual stage from a Space Harrier game or if I'm just making it up on the fly. Are you ready? Ooh, this is going to be hard. Yeah, go for it. Maura. That's a, that's a stage. Okay. Gibbon. No. Is it a stage? Oh, man. No, it's not. Oh. Um, Yord. Hmm. No, I don't think so. Yord is. Yord okay. is. Okay. Yeah. So, that's... It's like, see how I got one right, at least. Or two Gibbon. right, actually. I like Gibbon. <laughs> Gibbon's like a monkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I mean, I, I always... 
I think the Space Harrier stage names are forgettable, but it's always fun to see them flash up on screen. Um, when we get to Planet Harriers, you're going to be hitting your head against the desk with how stupid the titles are. It's oh, like they God. didn't even try. Um, it's like, come on, Nagoshi. Come on. Uh, so the game itself, it features the recognizable theme as well as new tracks. And, of course, Japanese fans getting uh, getting all the good stuff. They have lovely FM synth sounds, um, which are actually in the playthrough we're watching. Though I don't, I don't believe we have the audio on, but you guys can search that out um, if you are if you want to pause this and jump over. Or just give it a listen after the show. Or maybe we'll throw some up over the credits. I think that might be fun, some Oof. FM synth uh, Space Harrier music. Um now, here's what I find frustrating. If you don't own the 3D glasses, or if yours are broken like mine are, um, and you just want to play the game in 2D, you can. But here's how it works. Uh, so basically, you need to get a high score. You need to make the high scoreboard in 3D, and then what? you use the second <laughs> controller to enter the name Uh-oh. 3, T-H-R-E-E, and the effect turns off. Why don't you just make it... A option? A menu like, option. Yeah, yeah, a menu option. Like, imagine that. You're like, oh, I'm having my buddy over, but he has one eye. Or he has vision problems. Or he can't see 3D. It's like, accessibility did not exist back then. They were like, oh, you don't own the glasses? Too bad. <laughs> you know? I, I get you got to sell the glasses, but, like, not having any option. This is what I hated, too. Like, they used to have those, like... Light guns for the Super Nintendo, right? Remember they had that really big gun that you just sell as like a bazooka? They had like a bazooka mm-hmm. for the, yeah. And they used to sell games for it, right? And you yeah. had to have the gun to play the games. You couldn't even play like a uh, controller version of a light gun game. So it's like, I don't know why they did this. That was the worst. When you got that for Christmas, right. that's terrible. I I hate it. This is a weird modern console thing. I hate when you're trying to view the second, like the the multiplayer options, and you select multiplayer from the menu, and it says, "I, I see you don't have a second player controller plugged in." And I'm like, "I only own one controller, but can I just see what the menu looks like for multiplayer so I can get an idea of like, can yeah. I even start a stage and just have the controller, the second player not moving, so I at least can get an idea of like." There's been games I've reviewed, and I just have to straight up say in the review, I never played the multiplayer because I don't own two controllers. <laughs> like, sorry. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, yeah, I never have that issue, but I can see where you were coming from. Like, especially when you just want to see it real quick for a review, like the, you mm-hmm. know, like this character select screen, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, uh, Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric has a good multiplayer mode. It was developed by a different developer which is bizarre they like tapped another developer to do it i think uh, colonial marines did the same thing yeah uh, i could be wrong but it's it's a weird thing they did back then um you can play the game in 2d if you have one of the ports uh which we will cover in a moment but if you're in america you're probably not going to have access to them um mm. I have here uh, a web link i don't you don't need to show it but it's for the cutting room floor which is a cool site um, Very good. Sometimes it shows deleted content. Other times it shows secrets. I believe we we use them to look at uh, boobies on yes. uh, the Dynamite Ducks episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, there's a few interesting secrets in the game. Um, if you get a high score of one million points or more and enter the name Sound with the second controller, you unlock a sound test. And then if you play the sounds 
743-7481, a message comes up. And it's the weirdest thing. So the the message, well, I'll read the message here. The message says, hello, this is ZHD97591. Good fortune does not always repeat itself. And so this is kind of a weird broken English message that is telling you, you have correctly entered a code that was, that actually did something in the first space harrier. But in this game, entering that same code does not do anything, but it does bring up a message telling you it's not doing anything. So it's basically saying, hey, sometimes when you enter a code, you're not going to get something. <laughs> like, oh man, it's already setting this up. For have you ever seen an East, Have you ever seen an Easter egg acknowledge that the player has entered a code, but it's an Easter egg telling you you entered an Easter egg? Like, <laughs> it's but not only that, it's like telling you it's like sometimes in life you don't get what you want. So uh, here you go, disappointment. Yeah. It's like you think you're smart, but yeah. you're not. Yeah. Good fortune that, does not always repeat itself. It also Sorry. sucks that you spend so much money on like 3D glasses, a master system, and you're like such a big, you know, Space Harrier fan that you know this yeah. code, and then they give you this. This is your reward. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like if you put up, down, left, right, A start on Sonic Two, and it was like a little message came up, and it's like you successfully entered the level select code for Sonic One. However, this is Sonic Two. Sorry. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. There are there are ports of the game. I will say Americans are sadly out of options, though the game did re- did see release on the Sega Ages 2500 Volume 20 Space Harrier Complete Collection. It still blows my mind that there were dozens of these Sega Ages collection for the PS2 that had amazing remakes and... and it, like... It, we were missing out on so much, and we have missed up out on so much. Um, but basically, this was a bonus game uh, in both that collection and in the Sega 3D uh, Fukoku Archives, which is a physical compilation of the 3DS 3D Classics games with new bonuses. However, this was, I believe, collection number one or three, here in America, we did get that physical collection, but that was a port of the second collection. Yeah. And what really sucks is that not only did they have exclusive uh, Master System 3D games in those games, but they also had titles like um, Power Drift, which we did get a digital one of, with new modes. So the Power Drift that Japan got on the cartridge is basically an all-stars Sega game with characters from Space Harrier, Altered Beast, in in their own Power Drift cars. And I will say, as much as I love 3D Classics and we worked with the community team, promoted that game, I think Sega West seriously dropped the ball in failing to release these bonuses. And I think the fact that they only released the second of three compilations absolutely sucked. Oh yeah, and I, and I feel like that was recent. To that. It was just like, what were they thinking? What is idiots? <laughs> yeah, and I think it was just like this really weird, like transitional period where the 3ds was almost like on the way out. You know, like the 3ds already when it was out, 
like when it first came out, people right. made fun of its technology, right? Because it went having to do 3D, so right. it had to scale back its games. So by this right. time, it was like everyone's wanting to move on to the Switch. I mean, maybe they should have just put them all on Switch, but it is what it is now. Yeah, it just it just kind of pisses me off because I get it when it's like, oh, it's an RPG that's 40 hours and it's like little girls that turn into like, I don't know, weird video game consoles. You know, like I, I get that when it's like, it sounds cool, but I get that localizing it would take a lot of time. These are just straight up like games that require minimal translation and they just don't give it to us. Oh, well. Um Let's move on. Let's move on to our next title. So Space Harrier 2. Let's look at that beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, bizarre art. It's, um, it's bizarre, but it's like probably the coolest art, I think, for the franchise Like yeah. that they released. It has like a Medusa head. It has this weird checkered board. It looks really weird. It just looks like you died and you're in a fever dream, kind of. And you, you bring up that Medusa head. I'm just now realizing that I used to think she was just kind of like a floating head there, like a yeah. graphical element, kind of like Sonic 2 with Eggman or Robotnik grabbing the two. Yeah. And he's like a floating head. I think that tail behind her, I think this is like a weird like snake lady. Yeah. I think that's what they're trying to do. That's yeah. weird. It's not in the that's game. That's so though. weird. Is it in the game? A um, lady like that? No, right? I don't know if she is, though it is interesting that there's, like, lightning flashing in the background because that does play uh, a role in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, this is... I I think this is interesting artwork. Um, It's not up there with some of the best, but it's definitely... Definitely interesting. (laughs) Um, It's bizarre. So Space Harrier 2... Yeah, bizarre for sure. Uh, It released as a launch title uh, for the Mega Drive in Japan... And the Sega wow. Genesis in America on um, October 29th, 1988 and August 14th, 1989, respectively. So the game released alongside Super Thunderblade in Japan, reinforcing that the Mega Drive was initially marketed as a home arcade machine. Um, so let's talk about that briefly here. So what do you think about Sega's early marketing efforts for the Mega Drive um, being sold as an arcade at home? Do you think that was the right way... To sell the console? I mean, there was obviously a disparity between the arcade titles and the Mega Drive titles. They were scaled down, and for a long time, Sega already had these hits, right, on the arcade. I think transitioning over, at the time, it made sense to work with what you got. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think when Sega of America was like, all right, we got to hit the actual mainstream six, like bring new people in. This was like Sega right. trying to bring its arcade gamers to buy a, J- a Mega Drive, and I guess it technically didn't work because the Mega Drive didn't sell that well in Japan compared to America, so the American approach was probably the best. They should have probably gotten Japanese celebrities on board, the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah. I mean, that really did work, like, to bring mainstream audiences onto it. The people that would buy the Super Nintendo probably onto this first. But uh, I think yeah, it was a good idea at the time, just because they already had these games out, that's all. And uh, later on start doing the celebrity stuff, which I don't think Sega Japan ever did. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, by this point, they already had the Master System, um, the Mark III, uh, you know, so there was a library of games that were more home console based. I think, though, there was still this thought that 
like a video game's a video game. You can play it at the arcade. You can play it at home. And like, absolutely, I, I still love having a home version of Outrun. I still love having a home version of Space Harrier. But if you're exclusively marketing the Mega Drive as a home arcade machine, you need to remember that people have a lot more time at home. So they're more than happy to have like a longer platformer, an RPG. And they eventually did that. But I think out the gate, it's just kind of a cheap and easy way to make games for the console. It's very clear that they weren't like kicking off with an RPG. I think it would have been interesting if the Mega Drive launched with like, I don't know, Fantasy Star 2. Something like that to just yeah. be like, look, you get the arcade experience, but you're also getting um, something bigger. Also, I have to wonder if arcade owners didn't like that because they're like, oh, you want us to buy a deluxe Space Harrier cabinet, but you're also selling the game for like 50 bucks to people, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I think there was also a thought that if people fell in love with a game in the arcades, they would go home and in the case of this game... It's the sequel, so it's not the same game. It's a follow-up, but it's a game that made the transition from arcades to home consoles with the follow-up. And there are very few Sega arcade games that have done this. I'm trying to think maybe Crazy Taxi did it. Uh, Crazy Taxi 1 was arcades. Crazy Taxi 2 was home console exclusive, I believe. 3, de- three most definitely was. Yeah, 3 most um, but I, I also should note, too, that the American cover art is the Japanese cover art, but it doesn't wrap around at the back, unfortunately. But it's still cool that they actually still it, utilized, uh, yeah, that Japanese art. It looks cool. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think what made Space Harrier 2 so exciting was that it was indeed a true official sequel to the original game. Though, like I mentioned, Space Harrier 3 actually predates that game by eight months, and that's really making this more of Space Harrier 3, but that would probably throw people off because this is Space Harrier 3D, Space Harrier 2. It's almost like which they one should comes be mixed. first. Yeah, yeah they, sh- they should swap them. They should. So it's 1, um, 2, and 3D. Oh, and there's, that, there's that nasty artwork on the front there with his... There you go. Look at that. Um, so, yeah, um, let's let's read the story. And the story actually... The only place I could find it was in the game's manual. It wasn't, like, typed up anywhere. So let's let's read it. This will get pretty trippy. So the year is 6236. Space is your battlefield and destructive forces uh, your enemy... And, and destructive forces your enemy once a... Whoa. I think I found a typo in the first... Uh, <laughs> Sentence. Space is space is your battlefield, and destructive forces your enemy once again as Space Harrier confronts another crisis in Space Harrier Two. Only this time, the call for help comes from somewhere deep in the universe, the two hundred fourteenth sector, which is light years from your cruiser. However, you're armed with the Cosmic Gate, a special teleportation device, so you're there in moments. And what you see is disastrous. Fantasyland? Fantasyland? You mean Fantasy Zone? Fantasyland's in Disney World. Disneyland. <laughs> uh, is unrecognizable. What's clear? Our enemy forces, lots of them coming at you from everywhere. This is badly written. And there's only you and your laser. This is going to be a tough assignment at which to succeed whether your rapid fire is on or off. 
So follow the path to victory by staying out of the line of fire and shooting straight. It's a long and ugly road, and the only ones who survive have the makings of a real hero. Your objective is to survive 12 stages of intense combat with a horde of masterful foes. Outwit their strategy, and you'll save fantasy land from being blown to oblivion with you going along for the ride. Huh. Very... Thoughts? Um, that was a bizarre... I mean, like, they put a lot of thought into it, you could tell, especially the writing. It was, like, very Shakespearean. It was highbrow. It was, uh... It has everything. It has a teleporter. It has Stargate. It has Star Wars with a chosen one. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. It, It seems pretty explosive to me. What about you? I mean, there's very clear, just, like, straight up poorly written sentences there, so I don't know how serious to take it, but at the same time... They get as specific as the 214th sector. So there you go. I wonder Um, what that means. What I I find interesting, I'm not too well versed in the Space Harrier lore, but it's seeming to sound like this is a guy who like flies around the universe saving places and he more often than not finds himself going to the fantasy zone. It's like a Green Lantern. I guess... I'm going to not take Fantasyland as accurate. I think that's a mistranslation, yeah. which me- leads me to believe that the Japanese manual probably has a more accurate reading of this. But I'm assuming also the Cosmic Gate's a real thing. Um, and you see that in the game. When you start up, there's actually a cool thing where he's like standing. I always thought it was like a VR simulation that he was entering, but that's actually the Cosmic Gate uh, you're viewing there. And we actually have some gameplay playing, so you can see all that crazy shit going on oh yeah um in terms of gameplay actually little has changed between space harrier and the sequel do not expect the jump from like sonic one to two or streets of rage one to two the game does offer 13 stages and some new bosses and one cool addition is actually a crack of lightning in the sky um as the bosses appear uh however absent again are the dragon bonus stages but this time he isn't kidnapped um, instead, the player rides on top of a jet in a regular stage that just has, like, invincibility. So, I mean, do you think Space Harrier suffers from a lack of innovation? I think it does. Yeah, I mean, you, you there's there's a lot you could do with it. Like, if you just sat there and thought, think about it, like, adding um, layers to it. Like, um, um, like... It's just a rail shooter, sure, but, like, there's so much things you could change about it instead of just reusing the same ideas with the pillars and all that and the same aiming. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the aiming in uh, Space Harrier is kind of made for the arcade with the the stick for the corners and stuff with the cornering. So, like, they always copy that, too, right? So, it's like they never really think to change it for the console. This is only on console anyway. Why are you making it, like, a arcade game? Maybe add more cutscenes, more something. It needs more, you know. It always feels like it's bare-boned, like a fast game to get out there. I mean, all the Space Harriers are like that, but isn't, like, the first Space Harrier, like, super long? It has, like, a lot of levels. Like, 18 stages, I think. Yeah, what, when okay. we did our um, when we did our podcast, we talked about how long it was. Almost, We were almost complaining it was too long, but now I think we're like, oh, that's great. There's so much. Because the thing is, is it's not like... Um, other arcade games that would just repeat themselves, like you get to a certain point and it repeats, like each stage is unique, there's mm-hmm. unique enemies, 
unique music, and then the state the game has a very clear definitive the end. And I mean, I mean, with with Space Harrier two, I think it definitely does suffer from a lack of innovation. It's just the same template on a less powerful console. And you'd think like, okay, the hardware is not really there, but then what you do is you add something that you can't do in the arcades or add something you, you want to do before. They could have put uh, a shop, like an item shop in between stages, because if you're going to this cosmic gate, that means you're kind of going back to your ship. So why not have, have something in the ship? Um, they could have done a level select so that you don't start. You could start at any stage, and then the game starts at like level four, and then goes to twelve, and then does one, two, three, and concludes. They could have done something like that. They could have had a second player, like a a two player experience, or a female. Oh yeah, um, Harrier, Harriet. That'd be cool, Harriet. <laughs> yeah, I would like the two. But they didn't. Option. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, instead, they just you know had the Mega Drive. Um, Attempting to replicate super scaler effects, which and it looks doing nice. an okay job. It, looks it does nice look for nice. What it, is. it looks far. It looks far better than the Master System port of Space Harrier, which I, I don't believe we touched on too much in the last episode. But that's basically a, a scaled down port of Space Harrier with a exclusive boss at the end, who returned in the 3D Classics uh, release, pretty much. Um, and I, I do think, though, that if you sit back now and, and play Space Harrier 2, like on a 32X, and then pop in the 32X port of Space Harrier, I mean, there's no competition. The 32X port of Space Harrier looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, because the 32X brought superscalar effects to the Genesis, and it's actually a shame that OutRun never got its uh, 32X release, because I think it would have been amazing to get that or... Um, you know, any other games. Um, what do you think about this idea? What if M2 created a port of Space Harrier 2 for arcades like they did with Fantasy Zone 2? Would you like to see something like that? Yeah, like that was actually one of the things I was disappointed that they never announced when they were doing all these. After they did Fantasy Zone 2, I was like almost like 100% sure that Space Harrier 2 was going to get a like remake with some sort of like connection to the first game, maybe changing up some stuff. Um, right now, I'm showing the gameplay, and you get on th- on top of a ship, like a little like surfboard thing. Like there's a, yeah. there's so much little things they could have brought back and like uh, you know expanded on. Like I feel like Fantasy Zone Two did that really well. Not only that, they added those extra features where you play as the brother and stuff. So they could have done the same yeah. thing with this game. They could have uh, bridged it better with the first one and added more uh, content. Right, give it for a good <clears throat> release. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think the lack of innovation shows because Yu Suzuki did not return to make this game. Uh, in fact, the sequel was planned by Kotaro Hayashida, who was the creator of Alex Kidd. So maybe his heart wasn't in it. Maybe he just was given the job to make a game that was Space Harrier 2, and he just did think to plus it i think if yu suzuki was behind it he probably would would go hmm what can i do to kind of improve the experience or try something new um we did mention on our our space harrier episode that the original intent was for it to be a jet fighter game and that's kind of what afterburner became 
So I think it is interesting that the bonus stage is oh, yeah. on a jet fighter because it's basically the closest Space Harrier gets to the original iteration of Space Harrier. Um, there were several ports of the game to European computers, including the Amiga, Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, and the ZX Spectrum. Um, I took some images here from Hardcore Gaming 101. Look at this nonsense. What do you think? Wow. Yeah. Um, I'll stick with the... Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. But, like, I, I never owned any of these computers. <laughs> I really wonder if there's, like, hardcore collectors for, like, a Commodore 64. And I'm sure there are because I've seen, there you are. know, Jaguar, CDI people online. Mm-hmm. I just don't know, like, how big all these are. But, like, it's it, it always amazes me what's, like, that Sega games weren't really Sega exclusives back then. They were, like... The first company to have like a uh, console and then being like, all right, we're going to put them on computers and try to make as much money off of these guys too. But yeah. Right. And it's funny because, you know, in in the early 2000s, people were going, I cannot believe that there is a Sega game on a Nintendo console. Little do they realize that the NES had Sega games on it. They were They were licensed out and not developed by Sega itself, but... Just like these Amiga ports and and, uh, ZX Spectrum, they were made by external developers, but it was basically a remake of the game from Sega. Um, But as you can see, like a lot of, you know, the, the memory on these things was not great. They really look... I don't want to say bad because I understand that they had their limitations, but it's almost like... If you have a game as complex as Space Harrier that is already struggling to run on the Genesis, maybe don't make it for the ZX Spectrum. Make games that the ZX Spectrum can run perfectly, you know? <laughs> like maybe like Alex Kidd or something? Um, maybe, but like I, I just, I, I know full well that there are like Commodore 64 fans who are like, they know what the greatest games are for the console and they're definitely not ports of Sega arcade games. Oh, you know, they're always that. something more more simplistic that work well on, in the confines of that. I mean, some of the best Atari games are games made specifically for the Atari with the limitations in mind. And then some of the worst Atari games are ports of games that just never should have run on it. I'd love to see, though, a demake of Space Harrier for the 2600 and i have to wonder if that already exists that would be really cool um yeah now we're moving on this is this is the future george so here we go we are going to be jumping into planet harriers this is a game i've actually wanted to talk about for a long time on sega talk and for a while i really thought it would be its own episode i actually been doing the notes here thought we'll end it and we'll do a space a planet harriers episode in the future but as evidenced, we're at the 50-minute mark. This game really does not have a lot to be said about it. After I, I did some research, it's a very small, short game, uh, oh, yeah. despite looking big and impressive. It released in 2000 to arcades. Um, this was really the big return of Space Harrier to the home arc- to the arcades since the original game like as we've been discussing these are home home console titles and all of a sudden space harrier is making its jump to the arcades again however am2 is not behind it 
Um, Yu Suzuki is not behind it. It is running on the Sega Hikaru board, which is most notable for uh, running Star Wars Racer and one of the Virtua on games. Mm. So on a technical level, it's amazing. Um, it, it features something called Fong Shading, which I kind of feel like I should have looked up before just saying Fong Shading because I don't know what the hell that is. But um, yeah, okay, so Fong Shading is a computer graphics interpolation technique for surface shading invented by the pioneer Bui Tong Fong. Oh, and yeah. I knew that. I guess if if you can I guess if you can imagine so imagine a sphere but it almost looks like it's out of the game res like a disco ball and then imagine a perfectly round marble with sun like a, a sun reflecting in it. That is Fong shading. So it basically takes this data of all these different cubic colors and kind of merges them together into a a clearly defined shape, even though the shape itself is actually still made up of blocky uh, polygons. So that's pretty impressive that a game in the 2000s was basically appearing to be completely reflective uh, surfaces rather than... Like, if you're watching on video, I have a sheen on my forehead that looks very impressive, but imagine it being like four pixel blocks. That's what the Fong shading's doing there. Uh, it also has an amazingly long draw distance, uh, particle effects, and a large number of light sources and polygons on screen. Um, the game was developed by Amusement Vision, who made the Virtuous Strikers, Super Monkey Ball, and Spike Out games, and it was directed by Toshihiro Nagoshi, who um, left Sega not Bye. too long ago. See ya. <laughs> and we yeah. never newsed it because our site was down for two days. And yeah. it's so funny that like probably some of the biggest Sega news we still haven't newsed. <laughs> I, was I think say, we got to you, that point where we're like... What do you think about him leaving? What? Like, I mean, he's been in the company since, let's be honest, when he made his Daytona USA debut. It's been like he's been... Mm-hmm. I would say this is probably when he was kind of slumping it. Like, it felt like he just started his own, like, uh, studio, and he was doing Spike Out. He was trying to do the same thing he did at AM2. It wasn't his Yakuza stuff yet, or going away from all that. Right. And he was trying to, like... It looked like he was basically trying to make AM Studios 2 Part 2, where, but under his control and under his rules. Uh, because, like, he was doing this... Right, yeah. He, I, I mean, I definitely think that elements of Shenmue, Daytona, um, uh, Space Harrier rubbed off on him, but it's clear that he had visions of his own that he wanted to, I guess, uh, see uh, come to life. But he also understood that there were some legacy titles that would probably just help him as a developer move up in the ranks at Sega. And I think if if you're told, hey, you got free reign on making a sequel to Space Harrier, you're not you're not going to say no. Um, but I will say that I, I feel like this game has a lot more visually in common with Spike Out and F Zero GX than it does Space Harrier. Um, I I don't think that, and we'll we'll get into the environments and stuff. Uh, in a moment, but what I did want to do is instead of talking about Nagoshi, because we we've talked about him a lot in the past, we probably will do a Nagoshi centric episode in the near future. 
I want to talk about another member of the team, um, and that's the game's main program director, uh, Tetsuo Kaku. And I just kind of plucked him at random. He was at the top of the list. He's someone we're, we've never talked about. I think it's interesting to see these people's names who appear on a lot of great games but never really see what they do or what they've worked on. Um, Kaku was a frequent collaborator with Nagoshi. Uh, he started at Sega actually with Virtua Fighter, so all the way back then as a programmer, he worked on the franchise up to 3TB, and then he became a chief programmer on Spike Out, which many have said is kind of the precursor to Yakuza in terms of the gameplay style. Um, I thought this was really interesting. He programmed the web browser implementation for Sonic Adventure. Um, and he also worked on Shenmue, Super Monkey Ball, F-Zero, AX, and GX. And on Yakuza, Yakuza 2, Yakuza 3, Yakuza 4, Kiwami, and Kenzen, um, in some cases as a chief programmer. So that original Yakuza, which has become kind of lost to time. Like, I feel like the Kiwami games have really overwritten the lore the yakuza titles yeah yeah well not just the lore but the gameplay i feel like you talk to some people now and they're like i'm a huge yakuza fan played all the games and you go did you play the playstation 2 once and i'm like no and it's like check them out it's a completely different experience from what you think you're gonna get it is and um, there's like i don't know i think there's something really charming about the models they used and the art style for the ps2 it has its own charm there's this weird, like, mm-hmm. s- like Kiwami has this little weird kind of, like, slap together thing where they're using some motion capture of the PS2, but it doesn't translate well to more higher quality, like, models sometimes. Like, you start noticing their eyes don't move at all sometimes, and you're like, what? But it worked for the PS2 because right. they're so low quality. Yeah. And the worlds you explore, people will say, oh, Yakuza's the precursor, or it's like the successor to Shenmue. It isn't. You play that original Yakuza game, it is not a behind-the-back, fully world-exploring game, isn't it? It's more like playing a Resident Evil title with, like, fixed cameras and small environments. It's like a, uh, it's kind of like they took, like, Spike Out, and then they were like, let's put it in an RPG-type world, instead of, like, making an RPG or a simulation Mm -hmm. game from ground up. That's what it feels like. I guess I should say it's more like Final Fantasy Ten, where it's like fixed cameras and minimal exploration, but large settings. So you feel like it's a big world, but and it is, but not in the sense of like Shenmue, where it's fully three D realized. Everyone has a life. Uh, you're exploring stores and things that came later. Um, but I do think it's interesting that he started as the chief programmer for Yakuza, and then he ended up working on Kiwami, which was a remake of that. Um, he also worked on Binary Domain. So, I mean, I, I think it's a really impressive resume. Um, as oh, yeah. a chief programmer, he was highly, highly influential in the 3D uh, arcade era and home console era um, of Sega's third-party era. Um, I, I I think all of his games are highlights of his career, to be quite honest. Nothing oh, yeah. on this list really screams like, what? Except for maybe Kenzen, just because it's never been... Released here. Uh, released to the West. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you? But the, what do you think of his resume? Really makes him a fit for Space Harrier. Is there any of these games you think has a Space Harrier 
I mean, vibe. I would say as a programmer, like Super Monkey Ball, probably just the idea of running, you know, the way that the scale or whatever you scale those graphics. And even if you look at Planet Mm -hmm. Harriers, it has a very like Wii type of graphical vibe where it's like if this released on Wii, it would be like, oh, this is just another Wii, like top tier looking Wii game. But it came out earlier than the Wii, obviously. And the Wii was, you know, less powerful, but it still looks like kind of like Sin and Punishment 2. From Treasure, it kind of gives me that yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah, and there is this this kind, and let's, I don't know if we have the gameplay footage playing right now, but there I'll is a aesthetic to the character designs that I think really f- scream amusement vision, and when I say that, I mean Spike Out and the F-Zero titles, and maybe even the early Yakuza games to a point, where... They're, I don't really know how to describe it. It's almost like accentuated legs, uh, very unique face designs. They don't look anime so much as they look cartoonish. It's like um, the kid trend I, in this era, like for kid cartoons, isn't mm-hmm. it? What I'm thinking, like it kind of looks like knights, or yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Like they don't have the checkered boards like they used to in the other one. No, 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 and. Um, it's interesting, though, that this this game, when it was released, it was hailed as having the best arcade graphics of the time um, and was amazingly successful at the 2000 Amusement Machine Show and was apparently a super successful arcade game in Japan, uh, which saw a worldwide release, but not too many. I've only played this once in the wild. Uh, the only other game I can think of that I've seen once in the wild was... Um, uh, uh, that skateboarding Jet Set Radio oh, Smile I, Bit game. I forgot what it's called. I, they used to have that one in my theater, but I forgot what it's called. Ollie King. There Ollie King. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is a rare one. Even Galloping Ghost doesn't have this or Ollie King. If they ever did, I would oh. be like, if they announced it today, I'd I'd log off and just go do it because <laughs> yeah. it's like I don't want the game to break down. I want to play it again. Um. But you mentioned it it lacks the checkerboard patterns. I think as much as I'd love to see those, I think doing away with them meant that they could make such a technically impressive game. Otherwise, people would go, oh, cool, you made a checkerboard pattern. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I get it. Um, Now, this isn't in the notes, but... uh, Strike Harbinger, a.k.a. Strike Blazinger. I don't know where that game is right now in terms of development. We've been talking about it since 2017. I think that's when I played it. Um, it's from uh, uh, HitSparks Games, which is made up of Chris Tang and Kiyoshi Okuma. Now, their game is a straight-up what a 3D version of Space Harrier would be. And it is amazing it's so fun and there are development things they shared with me that i can't publicly talk about but that feels like the evolution of space harrier in 3d this game to me it plays more like panzer dragoon yeah it's slower moving um it's a lot easier it's shorter I think it lacks a lot of the lore and the rules made in the Space Harrier games. Um, the cabinet, it's a twin-seated cabinet uh, 
which allows for simultaneous two-player games or... Or, I'm sorry, simultaneous two single-player games. So you could sit down next to someone and not be playing the same game. Or a network two-player game, which is common. You see that a lot with racing games. Um, much like the original Space Harrier, there is the joystick. There's missile and bullet trigger buttons. But there uh, are also buttons for changing the view and using bombs. So definitely a, uh evolution there. Um, though... Like I mentioned, I think the biggest change is the setting. You look at this game in action, and outside of someone holding something under their arm and shooting, nothing screams Space Harrier. No. Um, they're just like 3D worlds. Um, to be quite honest, I think the aesthetics either look like F-Zero, as I mentioned, or Fantasy Star Online. It's this, this Sega aesthetic of the 2000s where it's like uh, nature mixed with like techie stuff yeah it was know. like um that virtual quest game also has like that weird look with the big feet and all that yeah 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 it's i mean i love the aesthetic but it's def- it's like a digimon aesthetic you know what yeah. i mean like you're, you're not gonna see that anymore um as for the playable characters there's four of them it seems very it's very clear that like they looked at what space harrier is oh it's a guy holding a thing so they're like okay well in this game we have four characters holding things so you have the police officer glenn who has a giant gun he holds like a pistol we have nurse Corey, who has a giant syringe and she's in the gameplay we're looking at we have baseball player nick with his bat called the Nick Special Big Baseball Bat, and then Rockstar X with his guitar. Um, a little bizarre. What do you think about these Yeah, guys? that's, that's Do you bizarre. like these? No, I'm... because it's like, okay, so you play the other one, you're a spaceman, right? It makes sense, right? You traveled multi-dimensions, yeah. and now you're a baseball player, a nurse that shoots out of her needle, a giant needle? Why? Right. Like, I, I get that you guys are having fun with it, but definitely, like, if anybody should have stopped, it would have been like Yuzuzuki. It's like, okay, dude, he's a spaceman. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I guess they were going for more of a goofy take. Like, wouldn't it be right. cool if a nurse was one of the shooters? I mean, one of the space harriers? It's like, so the original space harrier games have this lore. It's obvious this guy's the harrier. He has this tech. This is a machine that he uses. It's not. I don't think it's exclusive to him. I think it's just a machine that whatever force he fights for uses and i think it's just on one hand like i love this on the other hand i hate this it's weird because i'm like like it's it's quirky funny cool but at the same time it's just like completely missing the point of space harrier both aesthetically and i think um like plot wise it's just I don't know. It it almost feels like these are the characters you would create in addition to Harrier being in this game, but he's not. Yeah, that's weird. And I think it's a real missed opportunity to maybe, because this game is coming out years after the original, they should have had an older Harrier. So like a guy with like gray sideburns um, in the original costume with the thing. So like, yeah, you're all going to pick that one. But if you don't want to pick him, you can always pick Corey with the syringe or Nick with the bat just for fun. But it just seems like a misstep to be like, there is no main character. The, the main character is not in this game. Um, if anything, and this is what I 
I both love and kind of dislike about the game is that there is a fifth hidden character. You can access them um, pretty easily through some... I, I forgot what the code is exactly, but it's Opa Opa. Oh. Opa Opa himself is in the main game. He arrives as you play the game to revive players using a continue. Um, and of course, this ties the the Space Harrier games in with Fantasy Zone, um, a connection the franchise has always had. Uh, this would make this Opa Opa's first fully 3D appearance in a in a full game. He later appeared in Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, but it just seems weird to me that the one character who feels really true and right for the fantasy zone should be space harrier because this is a space harrier game. Yeah. But your next best option is Opa Opa, <laughs> you know, like it, it kind of makes weird. it seem like they started development on this game. as like a, like, Oh, this is influenced by like uh space harrier, but it's its own game. And Sega's like, no, it has to have direct tie into a arcade, the arcade game. And, so they called it Planet Harriers. Pretty sure it was going to be maybe be its own game, its own light gun shooter with its own world. Mm. I don't know, because it's yeah. weird that you yeah. wouldn't even put the main character in the game. Like, Isn't that kind of strange? It is, and it's not even like there's a legacy or they reference him or like this is his son. There's none of that. It's just like these are four other guys holding things. And I guess in Space Harrier, people hold things, and the thing they hold is like what they are. So... If you're a spaceman, you have a rocket, but he's not in this one. You're a nurse. You have a syringe. Makes no sense. Um, players have health bars. Uh, the game features lock-on, like Afterburner. And in two-player games, I think this is kind of cool. Players can dock and recover each, each other's life. Um, the, the game's brief, though. It has five stages. And this is where I was saying at the beginning that as crazy as the Space Harrier game titles are, uh, Planet Harriers kind of drops the ball. So the first one is Windle, W-I-N-D-E-L. It's a green landscape. Uh, the next one is Foreo, which is a forest. Okay, cool. The next one is called Lava, L-A-V-A-A. Two A's. Can you guess what this... Lava. It's a lava <laughs> this stage. This stage has lava, yeah. And then and then they get super creative. The next one's called Cavern. Oof. Could be anything. C-A-V-E-R-N, which is just a word. For cave, yeah, and that's what you see. And then the last one is Galax, which is basically Galaxy minus the Y. And uh, yep, surprise, surprise, it takes place in outer space. So you know, five stages doesn't seem that impressive. Some of the titles are a little forgettable. Um, the bosses are static. You you reach the end of the stage, and then they're just kind of there, and you float in front of them and fight. Um, there's five of them. There's a multi-headed dragon, which is the most space harrier of the all of them all. Uh, there's an eyeball monster. There's a living mummy coffin. There's a gooey starfish, and then a series of cubes that take on different forms. And one of the forms is actually uh, the Dreamcast logo, which is pretty funny. Um, again, for a game that's a sequel to Space Harrier. It's really more a Fantasy Zone game because there is a item shop, like the parts shop in Fantasy Zone. Uh, players can buy weapons and upgrades to refill. It's called the Star Shop. It's This is weird. It's maintained by two shopkeepers, but they appear at random. So you either get this basically naked old man, hunky naked old man wearing a red apron, 
or a woman in like a metal chastity dress. Yeah. Like it's got a big lock on it, so it's like she can't remove it. Yeah. It's very weird. Um, something weird going on. You over. enter the stage. It's bizarre. Like he's sexy, she's sexy. They appear at random. Why did they de- design two shopkeepers? You didn't need to do that. Um, uh, yeah, and and you can either enter the stage through portals like you would in Fantasy Zone, or between stages again like Fantasy Zone, and you spend gold that you collect from fallen enemies. Um, Though, I I will say, it sounds like I'm being negative. I think this is the best improvement to the Space Harrier formula. I think it's a fun tie-in with Fantasy Zone. Uh, What do you think about this shop? I I like it. I like the idea of the the shop. I like the idea that there's, like, a guy that has, like... They're both sexy, right? But, like, the guy is, like, wearing an apron and he's naked. So it's, like, easy to access, you know, like, you just... And then the other girls are, like, an all-metal sexy suit but with, like, a lock. So you can't actually access, like... You know what I mean? It's just like the weird dynamics of the guy naked and the girl like uh, behind a metal <laughs> tin thing. It's just a strange. It's like, what are you guys thinking when you guys were doing this? Um, I like the idea of and, the shop. And let me just say how... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I like the idea of the shop. I was just going to say how pro- how progressive of us to be like, this guy's sexy, but we don't have any problem with it. <laughs> I don't have any problems with the guy being sexy. Especially old people. They have me to be neither. sexy I too. I mean, awesome. Yeah. Um, so um, nothing I, better than a sexy old man. I do like that they kept the running on the um, on the ground. I thought that was pretty cool because, like, you know, it's three D. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to do the animation. Um, but it does remind mm-hmm. me more of like a cross between like Panzer Dragoon ish or whatever with the like the lock on and all that and the way it looks in three D. And uh, yeah, but I do like the shop. I think it's a cool addition. I hope that if they ever do a new two. M2 or something that they uh, think about adding a shop Mm -hmm. and it would be cool to I mean it's never going to happen but it would be cool to have an official port of this one day like the lost arcade games from Sega oh uh, yeah absolutely Um, yeah I mean I'll I'll just skip ahead uh, briefly to to mention that I I think if it does see a port the best uh, opportunity is in a new Yakuza or Judgment game just because they seem to be cherry picking one game that has either never been released or generally generationally has not been released so we had sonic the fighters uh come back to modern consoles with lost judgment we had um I, i'm blanking but it's like a bizarre racing game yeah that no one ever talks about yeah. so i think given the negoshi connection it would be amazing if planet harrier found its way into like yakuza 8 i think they definitely should consider that i hope they have a short list of games where they're like look m2 is not going to do it it works with our legacy let's do it i mean it, it's a part of the monkey ball family pretty much amusement vision so why not you know it's it's got a direct connection to the yakuza franchise just in terms of the uh creatives working on it um i thought the ending of the game was interesting so it shows a player flying through space and then there's an, a man and his kid, and I don't know if they've ever appeared in the game, but they're just, like, walking. It's like a guy and his kid, and they stop and look up and see, like, the player flying through the sky. And then there's a message, and the message is very strange. It says, in remembrance to all dear games born in the 20th century. What? And I think what the message means, because the game came out in 2000... It's almost saying, like, we are moving into the 21st century. 
this game is remembering all the games that were made in the past century, a.k.a. every single video game up until this point. You know, it's a a very strange kind of melancholic message. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. imagine the a, a movie that came out in the year 2000 ends and it's like, let's take a moment to remember every movie made in the last 100 years. And you're like, <sighs> oh, okay, I didn't know we were going to be doing this, but... You know, I'll I'll say a prayer for like Charlie Chaplin, I guess. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, it is kind of um, weird. It, it would have been like I don't know, like doing a uh, like I don't know, like a tribute to like maybe the actual like um, space area franchise, not just every single game that ever came out. It was like would have been sick if they showed like. You know, like, this one came out in this year, 3D came out this year, you know, start actually talking about the franchise right. that you're trying to make a sequel to or a final game to. They could have said, see you next game, but instead they're like, let's let's bring you down for a weird moment. It's um, the last game ever made. But yeah, made. That, that pretty much closes, that closes the book on, on Space Harrier sequels. Like, that's about it, but I definitely have loose ends uh, from our 2017 episode, Um one that I, I believe was an omission is that there was uh, this bizarre game. So this is Typing Space Harrier. Oh, man. It was a Sega PC title for Windows 98, ME, 2000, and XP. So I'm assuming you could probably find this and download it and try it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like like the title says, it's pretty much like Typing of the Dead, but Space Harrier. Um Instead of the fire button, you type out words. It's basically the graphics of the original, only released in Japan. Weird. <laughs> so it's in Japanese, then. You can't really um, play it. I, I don't think so. I'm, typing of the Dead does have English, so I'd imagine this does too. But I would also imagine there's a lot of Japanese, and so it's probably unplayable. Um, the other one, this one is weird. So... I, we may have briefly touched on this, but I because our previous one was not a video format, you couldn't see the cover art. But yeah, 2003 saw the release of Sega Ages 2500 Series Volume 4. So uh, if you remember, I talked about Volume 20 from M2, which was a compilation of all the Space Harrier games. But Volume 4 was developed by the company 3D Ages. So when the Sega Ages 2500 PlayStation 2 titles started... The mission was to remake games in 3D um, with remastered music. And despite the effort, though, it's just an okay attempt at moving the original 3D. Um, interestingly, there is the lock-on feature found in Planet Harriers. Um, and also a fractal mode, which replaces the checkerboards with more realistic scenery. So it's almost like it has the best of both worlds there. Um if you ever want to try this, though, it does have a Western release. I'm actually holding it uh, in my hand here. It is called Sega Classics Collection. Yeah. And this, I'm looking at it on the back here. I'm pretty sure it's the same game, but it's it's just weird. It's, it's the like 3D one where so, they redid the actual Harrier's design, right? Right, that's what's so weird is it's not a straight port, but they actually completely redesigned him. He's got like a little helmet, he's got little hair coming out of the back, all the enemies look different. It's 
it's very much its own thing. It definitely does not look like Space Harrier. Um, but it's also kind of like what you'd imagine a true 3D sequel to Space Harrier would look like. Um, it looks more like Space Harrier than, you know, like Strike Harbinger or uh, what is that, Xenocider. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting. It's not a great game, though, but it is definitely accessible through uh, Sega Classics Collection. Uh, this collection is weird because... If you just look at the cover, you would think it's just like an arcade port collection or maybe a Sega Genesis collection. It does not really explain what it is. It never mentions Sega Ages. It never says, like, these are cherry-picked Sega Ages titles. It also is bizarre because in Japan, you're buying a single disc to play Space Harrier, whereas this contains, I believe, uh, nine of the... uh, uh, Sega Ages titles, so it's very clear that they were extremely small, oh, yeah. and they could have fit a lot more on a disc. Um, PAL owners, unfortunately, miss out on Alien Syndrome, which was removed from their release to lower the age rating. Um, have you ever played this collection? Do you have it? Yeah, I have, and I do have it. I played it, like, briefly. I'm not really the big fan of, like, remaking these. I think that, like, this is cool and everything, but, like, it kind of misses the whole point of why Space Harrier, the first one, was, like, iconic and it's like design the look it's kind of like uh, if they made a right. 3d version of like the uh, sonic 2 and it's like well yeah but look at the way they did like there's something about the checker pattern and how it all came <laughs> together that you kind of like even now like even though we could right. obviously make it look way nicer you're still going like every time i play sonic 2 i'm always impressed like oh really nice art design very well done so it's like kind of the same thing with me with space area it's like that's cool, but um, I'm going to play the arcade one probably. <laughs> That's how I feel, but yeah. It's it's an interesting compilation. I think there are some highlights. Like Fantasy Zone is a uh, almost like Jet Set Radio cel-shaded remake of the game. Mm. So you can it switches to like first person, which is really cool. Um, columns, though, like you didn't re- need to remake that in 3D. Yeah, you, it's just a 2D puzzle game. Oh, yeah, you game. do. You need to also add a story mode and like RPG <laughs> mode onto it. <laughs> it's strange. There's Virtual Racing, which is already a pretty cool-looking 3D game, but they like remade it. More But 3D. it looks old, but it looks new. Uh, Outrun in 3D. This is like your Outrun 1 in 3D, which is just bizarre because Outrun 2 was in 3D. Yeah. So... It's a curiosity. I would say definitely pick it up because it's the only way you're going to get Sega Ages titles in America. And it's it's a good peek at what the original, the early titles were before M2 um, took over. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of M2 and Sega Ages, the line actually did see a revival on the Nintendo Switch uh, with Space Harrier included features from the 3DS 3D Classic release were included, including... Uh, widescreen support, the exclusive final boss, Haya-O, who was from the Master System version, um, as well as new modes. The most notable addition is a new mode called Komenu Barrier Attack, in which a pair of lion-like statues uh, who were originally seen guarding the Shinto shrines, like in Japan, um, surround the player and create a barrier protecting the player from collisions. What I think is interesting, though, is these these uh, creatures are in the original game. But they're protecting the stage seventeen boss, boss whose name is Wee Wee Jumbo. 
which sounds like a big. I have a uh, wee wee jumbo. Big. Uh, you know? That's what you would name um, your penis when you were a kid. Wee wee jumbo. Wee wee jumbo. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sega's press release said that with the exception of bullets, the barrier protects Harrier from all enemies and obstacles like running into him. So now you can proactively destroy obstacles and invincible enemies like Bins Beans by ramming into them, which normally had to be avoided um, other than riding Urea. Uh, however, if Komenu himself is attacked, the barrier will disappear for a fixed period of time. So it's it's a cool like easy mode, but it it has its like difficult setting. What what do you think of that? I mean, it's it's no Space Harrier two remake, but it's something. Uh, it's yeah, you're right. Um, I think they you know sometimes the extra features that uh, AM two did were either like really well done and really well executed. Or sometimes they felt like they were just half assing it. Sometimes, and some of them got like the shorter end. Right. Like, I think one of the better ones mm-hmm. was, like, OutRun. They had all those cool features that, like, you could take away the cars. So, technically, if one day you just want to come home from work and ride your vehicle on an open road, uh, you can do that. There's nothing like that on this, right. is there, where you could take all the bad guys out and just dodge. Um, so it's No, like, not to my knowledge, no. Yeah, they could have done more. Obviously, it's, you know, I, I still think it's crazy that the one that got the most attention, love, and money was the Fantasy Seven Two port. Like... Such a weird... Yeah. And, like, the Sonic games didn't really get that much stuff. They added some things here and there, but, like, I still think the Whitehead versions were superior. At least at, le- that, at least that I know of, right? It, it seems like Sega of Japan still wants to throw money at Sonic 1 and 2 remakes, even though they already have them. It's a very weird waste of resources. Uh, yeah. I Just ignore Sonic 1 and 2 on, on Sega Ages and... and I don't know. Work on other things. Um, think there so. is another thing. So I, I, I've never tried this. I want to try it though. I just purchased the game today, actually, for the the Switch. Mm. Um, is a control scheme that mimics the arcade flight stick using the Switch Joy-Con and accelerometer in an upright mode. So you hold the Joy-Con, and you can do this. I didn't know that. Fly. Have you tried? No, that? I haven't. I do own it. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. I'm going to try it. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not as intuitive. So I, I sang the praises of the 3D classic Space Harrier, which I think might have been like my game of the year <laughs> at one point when there wasn't that much releasing. But there are a few modes that are absent from this. For example, the machine moving and making the sounds, I don't believe, is in it. Also, uh, the 3DS version, you can use the stylus to move the player around the screen. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. Like, it makes the game... Not easier, but insanely intuitive. It's the equivalent of touching your finger to a video game screen, and the character will go wherever you move your finger. Like, you can't do that, <laughs> you know, with any other game unless it's like a mouse. Um, so that that is very cool. Um, but by and large, I, I think the Sega Ages uh, Switch version is probably the best one you can get right now. There's also a version on the um, Astro City Mini, which is just like the straight-up game, which is cool. Um, But yeah, as far as the the sequels, um, 
They are on the uh, Space Harrier 2 is on the Genesis Mini. Uh, very easy to find and play. So really, I'd say the rarest one is Planet Harriers, followed by Space Harrier 3D. And you're going to have to do some importing or eBay shopping to really get those. And even then, there are uh, some issues with uh, hardware. But yeah, that, that pretty much covers it for the sequels, the remakes, the remasters. I think we can finally... Close the book on Space Harrier, on Sega Talk. I don't believe we will ever do another episode unless they release a new game. Oh, I will um, So <laughs> Come on, guys. I hope. I mean, yeah, come on, do it. But, uh, yeah, so what are your final thoughts on the franchise, sequels, and where would you like it to go next? I mean, obviously I would like to have something come back. I think, like, for a long time, I think the last big arcade game, I, I, I wouldn't say that because we also had Daytona or whatever uh, in arcades, but, like, the last time Sega made a big deal about like bringing a big franchise and making a sequel was uh, Outrun 2. And, and, and it got like five re-releases, some crazy amount. And it got a PSP port. It was like they went all out mm-hmm. on that game. And I haven't seen them do anything like that where like they actually made a really good new game like that. Like I, I Outrun 2, and I, like I told you, it's going to be our 100th episode. It's one of my favorite arc. Uh, games yeah. that they they've released you know uh more modernly i know it's been like 15 years but uh i hope that they i i i hope but i feel like we're already coming to an end from this like sega arcade and sega's moving more towards like maybe bringing back console stuff like we already got a new alex kid streets of rage but uh i would love to see a new uh actual space Harrier three where like you know you play as the actual character and it's in 3D, and it's a, maybe a little title that it's like kind of like an indie budget title with cool art. That'd be sick. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think if we do see it, it's probably going to be like a digital only uh, indie budget title that really appeals to kind of the same crowds that love shmups, um, the same crowds that love, um, uh, you know, maybe like a Mega Man Nine like those sort of demakes. Mm. Um, it, it was mentioned in our uh, Space Harrier episode that, and I, I think this, the, the most interesting I, thing I mentioned in the, in the episode was that Space Harrier is a, um, it's a, uh, like a run and gun. It's like a, um, it's like a shmup, but like a first person shmup. And, you know, it, if you can imagine a demake of Space Harrier from the side, it would really probably appeal to that sort of crowd, no question. But because you're going, you know, forward, it's it's kind of moved into its own category of like superscalar flight game. Oh, yeah. And so I, I think if we see another one, I think shifting perspectives would be interesting. I think to have some stages moving sideways, maybe for a bonus stage, might be fun. Um I think if they do make another, make it a compilation with a new game so that you can experience one 3D, two Planet Harriers, and then like the new edition. And that's why I think M2 would probably be the best choice, just because instead of releasing some snazzy 3D uh, sequel, it would be something that would appear to be a lost, like super scalar 80s game, but with some like sonic mania touches we were like oh they can't do that you know like (laughs) the hardware could never do that but it can 
Um, But yeah, just something that celebrates the legacy. And I think if Sega wants to revive this in other titles like that, stop thinking of it as an arcade title and think of it more as a celebration of Sega's legacy um, by both collecting titles and putting some new experiences on there. And I think it could happen. Um, But until then, uh, I will miss talking about Space Harrier on these shows. Uh, 2017 was the last time. 2021 is probably the final time. But it's time to move on. We will discuss more classic arcade games in the near future. Uh, But until then, I want to hear from the Patreon audience. If you support us at any tier, your memories will be read aloud no matter how much you type, which pains me to say. Uh, (laughs) uh, We had Daniel Andres. He said, the only memory I really have is playing Space Harrier 3D Remake on the PS2 Sega Classics Collection. Does that really even count? Not sure. And I swear that I've played Planet Harrier's before at an arcade a few years back somewhere, or at least saw it in person. <laughs> I also think that I recently put Space Harrier 2 on my my Genesis EverDrive, Ever but I haven't gotten around to playing it yet. Regardless of all that, I still love Space Harrier, at least the original one. Um, Alex Hube says, out of all the sequels, I've only played Space Harrier 2, which I want to play more of, but I always find myself going back to the first game because the music is so good. Yeah. I have never played Planet Harrier, but I think I vaguely recall seeing it at some arcade, like Chuck E. Cheese, I don't know. Though it kind of reminds me of a bit of Sin and Punishment Star Successor yeah. on the Wii. That's what I said. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, I do see that. I, 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 I was playing, actually, the Sin and Punishment game not that long ago, so that's what I've seen a little bit of. Interesting. Uh, and, then, and then finally we have Taze Bell, and I love this comment. I've never played any of the sequels, but I am aware of Space Harrier 2. Not exactly the most interesting memory, but yeah. (laughs) What a way to end it. Um, So, George, do you want to reveal what we're going to be talking about after the Thanksgiving holiday when we dive into December? Um, I think we're going to be talking... Well, I'm going to be doing Shimu 2, right? Or am I doing 3? Or you're doing 3, I'm doing 2. And then I'm doing... uh, No, no, no. That's next year. Actually, Astro... uh, I'm doing... um, What's the game called now? Now it's escaping me. Um, Astro Boy, the one on Astro Game Boy, Boy Advance. Yes. Omega Factor. Omega Factor, the Game Boy Advance one. The better one I'm going to be talking about. And I actually kind of like the game. It's a tr- treasure and I think Hitmaker crossover game uh, on the uh, mm-hmm. Game Boy Advance. It's actually really under... I don't. I wouldn't say underrated. It's, it has a cult classic. Uh, it has fans of it. Um, it's definitely going to be an interesting episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about Astro Boy, Hitmaker, and crossover developers because it's two big developers coming and pl- working together so we might talk more about any time in history where that happened too so it's gonna be an interesting episode we'll catch you guys on the next episode of sega talk bye bye Mm-hmm.
over. Thank you for playing.